0: Podcast from the Sunday Night Service at New Life Church. The Sunday Night Service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. All right, well, good evening, everybody. How has your weekend been? Did anybody bring stuff out yesterday or this afternoon to the Pikes Peak Community College lot where we're doing all this, this giveaway thing, freely give? Okay, if you didn't, that's alright. Uh, we went through and we got, we got about eight bags of stuff. We went through a couple weeks ago and uh, went through our closets, you know, knowing that this was coming up and all of that and uh, I'm embarrassed to say that I had in my closet these suits that were really, really nice. That's not the embarrassing part. Suits are nice uh, and, and they were particularly nice suits. But the embarrassing part is that they don't fit, um, and uh, the other thing is they were from another era, if you will, when I used to, um, not that they're outdated, <laughs> no, I mean, just, just that there was an era when I used to dress up a lot and wear suits a lot, and so I had, you know, four or five different suits, and they're still pretty cool, but, but they just don't fit, so somebody will benefit from at least that, but hey, we, we have these things, we're going to do it again next weekend on Saturday and on Sunday. And uh, I heard a story this morning of a lady who had had called in and said, Hey, I really need uh, a wash machine. You know, we've uh, been going to the laundromat and all this stuff. We kind of need a wash machine. And we said, Okay, great. We'll we'll write that down. We'll make a note of it. We'll take your information down. And then an hour later, this new lifer comes in and says, We've got an extra wash machine. It's in perfectly good condition. We're going to drop it off here. And lo and behold, that lady got a wash machine. You know, so I love that. Yeah, and that's just, you know, one little story. I'm sure there's lots of that. And so doing something like that is just a practical way to sort of um, work out what we're talking about in here. And we're talking about the series, Treasures. And I listened to the podcast last week from David Perkins. He did a great job uh, talking about that in here. How much stuff is enough? And, and what is the secret to being content? Well, it is... Uh, Christ working in us. In all, th- you know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Is uh, less about winning athletic competitions and more about learning to have plenty and learning to be fine in lack. Uh, that it's through Christ that we can do all of those things, and that's what Paul was talking about. So here we are in the midst of the series, and I, as I was thinking about the series as a whole, and thinking about my talk, my talks for the next couple of weeks. Um, I, I realized how much easier it was um, when I was single. And I know many of you in here are single, and so I just want to encourage you to enjoy it. Um, because, because I, I thought, when, when I first got a job and a paycheck, I just thought, this is a lot of money. You know, my, my first job was uh, working at, at the university where I graduated from, and I, I worked for them after I graduated, worked in a full-time capacity and was making something like eight bucks an hour or whatever. And I just thought, this is amazing. This is awesome. This is, like, I got so much money, you know. Like, movies, I'm in. Let's go. Eating out, you got it, you know. And it was mainly because I didn't need much to furnish my apartment. It was like, furnish my apartment? What are you talking I got that couch from the Goodwill. I got the, you know. It was like, I got, st- what else did I need? And then I got married and realized that you needed curtains, you know, and you needed, like, <laughs> Like throw pillows on the couches that match the, you know? and all of a sudden you start to realize, wow, okay, we need this, we need this, we need this, and over time there's this creep that happens, you know, not a person, the creep, you know, but the the the, the stuff the stuff creep, where you you look in your closets, you look in your garage, and you say, my goodness, how did we get here? Do we really have to have all of this? and and, and then you realize that. That it's harder to let go of those things, you know. That all of a sudden, the more stuff you have, the more stuff has you. You know, that's the old adage, right? Uh, And my father-in-law is a is a farmer in Iowa, and he's one of those purest farmers. You know, like there's really sophisticated farming technology that he totally resists because he likes the simple life. He likes to walk the beans for himself. He likes to be out there choring at five in the morning, and he'll come in and say ooh, yeah, it's a balmy 17 below in Iowa, you know, whatever, and he just, he relishes in that, he loves that, you know, uh, and, and there's, a, there's, he really, there's not much that he needs, and we have dialogues about this because he looks at at us with, you know, a, a, I don't know, a cell phone or a car that works or something, you know, and he's like, that's just, you know, are you sure you guys need that, you know, he's got the same old blue pickup truck that he's driven into the ground for 20 years, so there's there's all the, it's a sliding scale when we talk about, well, how much do you need? And it's difficult when you start to point the finger at someone else, isn't it? It's difficult when you start to say, oh, well, hey, I think that's excessive. And they'll say, well, I think that's excessive. And say, well, well, I think we're fine. And usually what we do is we draw the, 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 the line right around where we are. And then anybody that's past where we are, we say, well, that's excessive. You know? But to some people, we're excessive. To the Amish, we're all excessive. You know, it's like electricity. You really, you know? So, so you've got to be careful when you try to interpret this to someone else. But the point here is, here we are talking about this series, and, and it's called Treasure. But really, this is a series not about our stuff, but about our hearts. And it's because of the way Jesus talked about it. We, read the, we heard the Scripture being read, you know. Look, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And look, the the way that you invest, the things that you choose to value, that gives away, that betrays where your heart really is. So, yeah, we're talking about stuff. and Yeah, we're talking about money. Yeah, we're talking about all those things. But at the core of this, we're talking about our hearts. And we're talking about what's happening in here. And have we become a a, a clingy? Or are we hanging on to stuff? Or are we open-handed with it? Well, tonight, I'm going to just say this word right out front, and, and put it out there in the open. Tonight we're talking about a controversial word to many people. It's the word tithe, or the idea of tithing. And if you're new to church, you're sort of like, man, I have never heard that word before. It's the idea of giving a percentage of your income to the Lord, and, and uh, specifically 10%. The, the, the word tithe literally means 10%, a tenth. And, and, and there's a lot of people that instantly when that word comes up, they'll say, well, Glenn, Old Testament. That's Old Covenant. I'm under grace. I'm under the law. I'm not under any of this stuff. And so I, I'm kind of using this subject as an excuse to give us a larger framework uh, and possibly correct our thinking about Old Covenant versus New Covenant, and then we'll return to this subject. Because I think we have a few misconceptions about Old Testament and New Testament, and the way that some of us talk about it is not helpful to people who aren't believers. Because the way that some of us talk about Old Testament God versus New Testament God and law versus grace makes it sound like we have a God who was real mean and angry in one for a couple thousand years and then sort of changed his mind and was all sacrificial and loving in the next. And it, it, it's brought about a lot of confu- uh, confusion, but also uh, accusations from people that say, oh, you Christians, I don't know how you can believe this thing. There's clearly, there's a different God between Old Testament and New Testament. I talked to a guy who came down from CU Boulder, spent the last few years there, and said, look, one of my professors just flat out just opened up the Bible and showed me how, you know, and now I'm not even sure that any of this is real and all this stuff. And I, okay, okay, well, Maybe. And I'm not attempting to say, look, I can solve all of this and make this all plain and, and easy to you. But in this, at least in a few big picture discussions, I just want us to, uh, ch- to challenge maybe some of the ways that we've been thinking about Old Covenant versus New Covenant. Can we do that tonight? So I brought this whiteboard up here because it, it might help. And if you don't mind, it might feel a little bit like school. But is that okay? All right. All right. Good, because that's my outline. So anyway. Um, I think, I think misunderstanding number one of Old and New Covenant is that New Covenant is different than Old Covenant. And we sort of say, oh, it's totally different. And we kind of talk about it as if God changed his mind, as if he said, well, look, this is how I want it to be. And then he kind of watched and watched and woo, things got messier and messier. And then he said, scratch that, new plan. It's as if he said, oh, let's see how that plays out. And for about 4,000 years or so, he said, yeah, let's let it play out. Oh, n- abort, abort, stop, stop, stop. Here's my new plan. And we sort of have this idea about that. But that's not really very accurate at all. In fact, the core of covenant, whenever covenant, that word or that, that concept is, is, is highlighted in the scripture, the core of covenant is really this one sentence. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's it. So what's covenant? It's this unflinching promise of God saying with all of the love and faithfulness and fidelity and steadfastness inside of him saying I will be your God and you will be my people. In fact, when you see covenant talked about in in Deuteronomy, you see that very phrase. When you see Jeremiah say, I'm going to make a new covenant, that's the very same phrase he uses. When you see in Hebrews 8, which actually quotes Jeremiah 31, he uses that exact same phrase. And guess what? In Revelation, at the end of it all, God says, and now I will be their God, and they will be my people Something tells me this was God's plan all along, was to be our God and for us to be His people. That's the core of what covenant is. Furthermore, this word renew—oh, this word new—can uh, be misleading because when we hear new, we think all new as indifferent. But this word new is the same word that's used to describe a new moon. And everybody understood that what they were seeing was not truly a new moon, but the same moon in a different light. And so when you talk about new covenant, it has more to do with God renewing this covenant than it does with God replacing this covenant. Does that make sense? That the core of his intention has remained the same, that he wants a people, that he will be their God, and they will be his, they'll belong to him, And so what happens in the new covenant is it gets renewed through Jesus. And basically it's this, okay, I'm going to try to do this in a bit of a nutshell. It's basically this, it's Israel, it's God saying, look, I've asked you to be my people, but I see that you can't do that. I see that you keep being unfaithful. And if you've ever ventured into some of those Old Testament prophet books, like Hosea or Ezekiel, you know, it's kind of a little weird maybe. But if you've ever ventured into those books, you'll you'll see descriptions of God and Israel like a marriage. And then it gets pretty graphic because he calls them the prostitute. He kind of says, look, you've you've sold yourself to other gods. You're supposed to be mine, but you've sold. And there's there's this language. What is that language? That's covenant language you see that there and so God's saying okay look I I've not changed my love was steadfast it was unswerving unflinching it's un, unmoving It stayed but yours has been all over the place and so Jesus comes as a Israel as an Israelite and says okay I will keep covenant back with you as the faithful Israelite you see that and so Jesus comes now, now, there was this implication when covenant was made that, that an animal was cut in two. In fact, this happened when, when God made covenant with Abraham. There, was this, there were animals cut in two and it said God passed between them. Well, what's that about? It's just a visual way of saying, this is my covenant with you and if I break covenant, may I be broken in two. What happened to Israel when they broke covenant with God? The nation itself got broken in two. Ten tribes in the northern kingdom, two tribes in the southern kingdom. What did Jesus say when he sat at Passover with his disciples and said, this is my body which is broken for you? He's saying the one who broke covenant should die, but I'll be that person. I'll take that. And not only that, but I'll keep covenant back. So that now I'm renewing it. And in renewing it, I fulfill what Israel was always meant to do. What was Israel always meant to do? Be a blessing to all peoples, right? They were, they were the chosen people to do what? To bring in everyone else. And Jesus comes in and says, I'll fulfill that. I'll do what they could never have done. I'll be the one that renews the covenant. And in renewing it, brings in all nations. Do you see now why Paul was so excited about this? Why he says to Gentiles, do you get it? You now get to be in because of Jesus. So the renewing of the covenant is, a, is an expanding of it to include non-Jews. And about 99% of us in this room tonight, maybe 100%, would say, thank God. We get in on this. We are now in on this. We're covenant people. So it expands it. It broadens it. But it also deepened it. It also deepened it to now be from the inside out. Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah sort of saw this coming and he said this new covenant, this renewal of the covenant will be from inside our hearts. It will be written on our hearts. No one will have to tell you what to, it will be inside out. The other thing about the new covenant being renewed is there's now the Holy Spirit empowering us to live it out. Does that make sense? So it's not different as in, oh my gosh, it's totally different, and it was this plan, and now scratch that, and now it's this. It's the same plan, completely renewed and expanded and deepened and internalized because of Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You catch a bit of that? Myth number two, or misunderstanding number two, is that Old Covenant is all about law, and New Covenant is all about grace. Oh, well, wasn't it true, Glenn, that in the old covenant they had to do these things to sort of impress God and please God? Otherwise, he would reject them as his people. I mean, isn't that sort of how... I want to just point out a few things, and here's where the whiteboard will come in. And maybe we'll push it back after this. Can you guys all see this? The The very first thing that happens is Genesis 12 when God chooses Abraham, right? Genesis 15, he makes covenant with him. So Abraham is the father of this whole nation, right? Israel. So what came first? I'm writing it on the board. Covenant. Covenant comes first. And because of covenant, Abraham's descendants, several years later, so you know, decades later, whatever, generations later, get in trouble, right? And they're slaves in Egypt, right? And God says, I'm going to save you out of Egypt. I'm going to rescue you. In fact, he says to Moses, I have heard the cries of my people. Not just, I've heard the cries of those people. I've heard the cries of my people, my covenant people. So what, ha- what comes after covenant? Salvation. Because they're in covenant, he saves them. Now let me ask you a question. Have they done anything for him yet? Have they followed any laws yet? Has he given them a law yet? Uh Uh-oh, this smells like grace. In the Old Testament? So God chooses Abraham, why? Because he's good looking? Because he's smart? I don't know. He just chose him. And he makes covenant with him. And then because he makes covenant with him, Abraham's descendants get stuck and they're slaves and he saves them. Again, why? Out of grace. And then they get saved and they go out into the desert and they go up into the mountain and then he gives them the law. I want you to see the sequence. Because this is blowing me up on the inside. The more I've meditated on this over the last couple years as I've begun to think about this and see, it is totally rearranging how I used to think about stuff. Covenant, salvation, law. Covenant, salvation, law. Then what is the law? Is the law, because I don't know what, what you grew up thinking, but I grew up always thinking that the law was the way to please God, right? The law was the way to impress God, and if you broke the law, you're rejected. But wait a second, if they were saved before they even were given a law, then that can't be the role of the law, right? And if God chose them and made covenant with them even before he gave them a the law, then what is the role of the law? Here's what I think it is. The law is how we live as the people of God, not how we become the people of God. I'll say it again. I'll say it again and give you another chance to clap. I'm just kidding. No, i totally kidding. The, 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 law, the law is how we live as the people of God, not how we become the people of God. It was, yeah, okay. Woo! Thank you, God. All right. Now, Now, that's there in the Old Testament, but guess what happens in the New Testament? The same thing, right? We now get to be in covenant because of Jesus. Because we are in Jesus, we get to be saved. And, and now that we are saved, there are certain instructions. There is a way to live. So why do we talk about morality and why do we talk about things that we should do? And all? Is it to try to please God? And I get so tired of this because every time you preach a sermon about trying to live out as a believer, someone will say, brother, that is works. And I want to say to them, yeah, <laughs> but that's not works as in how I got to be saved. It's works as in this is how I live since I have been saved. Jesus said, look, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And he says, not one jot or tittle will we'll pass away. It's not, it's not that God was like, you know, he wrote down these meticulous instructions and had all this stuff and then said, wow, I didn't see this coming. That totally didn't work. <laughs> Jesus, would you, would you just... Yeah. What? No, that his plan all along was to have a people that would be his people and to whom he would be their God. So everything that we talk about, about this stuff, is not about, okay, it's not about law and rule and all stuff. It's how we live since we are the people of God. And you can put the rest of that on there. So covenant is what it means to be chosen, called as the people of God, and that's an act of grace. Salvation is being rescued and justified because we are the people of God. And instruction or law is how we live since we are the people of God. The third misunderstanding from the law or about old covenant, new covenant, is this idea that new covenant is not about law, man. It's not about law. So are we to assume then that God doesn't care about how we live? Should we assume then that, well, it's the new covenant's all about grace, dude? And I know churches, I mean, I can think of one even in in the Southeast Asian region. I've talked to my dad on the phone lots about this because they're so popular and they're on TV shows. And it's this stuff where it says, look, man, you can can cheat on your wife. You can have an affair. It's a grace means that God still loves you. And people are weeping and saying, thank you, as they go out and cheat on their spouse. That comes from not understanding this. That comes from people telling us over and over again that it's not about the law, man. The law is not how we get in. But then again, the law never was how we got in. The law was always how we live since we are in. It's always been about that. God cares very much about how we live. In fact, Matthew five seventeen through 20 is, is fantastic because of all the times. And I won't read this, but you, you, you know this. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus repeatedly references Moses, the law, and he says, You have heard, but I say unto you. Now, it's very interesting to see what he does each time, because he says that, I think, six different times. You have heard, but now I say unto you. And it's not as if he's saying, You have heard, do not murder, but I say, do whatever you want. (laughs) He doesn't say that. You have heard, do not commit adultery, but I say, God loves you. What Jesus says is, you have heard, do not murder. But I say, don't let hate fester in your heart. You have heard, do not commit adultery. I'm saying, don't even let lust grow in you. You have heard. And he goes on and on and on. What's happening to the way that God wants us to live? Is it going away? Is it that God doesn't care anymore? No, God cares. But what's happening to it is it's now becoming inside out. An inward kind of righteousness. That's why Jesus says, look, unless your righteousness gets better, exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you have no part of the kingdom. That's not about you won't get into heaven. What that's saying is if you want to show that you belong to this kingdom, if you want to show that you are one of the people, if you want to live out as covenant people, then you've got to do better than the Pharisees. So what does that mean? It means it's got to come from the inside out. Now, that, my friends, is the stage that has been set for us to talk about tithing. (laughs) Or maybe just an excuse for me to say all that, because I've been wanting to say all that. I think if we catch this, then everything that we're talking about all of a sudden is not, oh, what are you saying, like guilt, trying to guilt me, dude, you know? Like, no. But that because of Jesus, we have become the people of God. And because we are the people of God, we now live in a particular way. And tithing is just one of those things. It's just one of those ways that we live out as the people of God. And so I want to just take a little journey here through the Scriptures, both Testaments, and talk about this. Tithing is part of how we live as the covenant people of God. Genesis fourteen eighteen through 20. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. And so he, this guy, Melchizedek, this dude, he, he's called a priest of the most high God. It's the first time somebody with that moniker shows up. First time that per, that, a person with a description like that, priest of the most high. And Abraham's response is this, and then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Something about saying, okay, I need to show you that I'm honoring the God that you are a priest for. And he's just only begun to understand something about this God most high. Only two chapters earlier was he called by this God. It's the next chapter that Abraham becomes actually in covenant. But he's starting to get clued in on, wait a second, there's a God, and maybe this is, and he starts to give. The scripture that we heard as our Old Testament reading was about Jacob. Genesis twenty-eight, and here's Jacob. Now remember, it's Abraham. Abraham's son is Isaac. Isaac's son is Jacob, one of them. And Jacob's the one that the that the twelve, you know, his twelve sons become the twelve tribes of Israel. So Jacob's the dude that represents this chosen lineage. Does that make sense? Okay. And so here's Jacob saying, "Okay, all right, I'm I am one of those. I, I'm part of that family." And so he says, "Look, if God will be with me and watch over me on this journey, I am taking and, will give, and I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely, then this Lord will be my God." Do you hear that covenant phrase in there? He will be my God. And this stone I've set up will be as a pillar will be God's house, and all of you uh, 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 let's see, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. You, this is what it means to call you my God. I'll give a tenth to you. Jacob tithe. Later when Israel becomes a nation, there's this whole law that, that gets given to them and gets worked out in Exodus and Leviticus, later part of Exodus and the bulk of Leviticus. Here it is in Leviticus 27 verse 30. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. Here's God kind of saying, okay, look, this is how you live. This is what you do. And then here we go to Jesus. Jesus in Luke 11, I think this is interesting because he could have at this perfect moment said, yeah, and the giving bit just, but he says, woe to you Pharisees because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. In other words, this is Jesus being a bit humorous because they're told to give a tenth of everything and here are the Pharisees not only giving a tenth of their livestock and their produce but they're going to the herb garden. You know, a tiny little herb garden here. I'll give you a tenth of my cumin, you know. (laughs) And he says, okay, great, great. But you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. In other words, do both. Be inside out. Let your tithing not just be some kind of religious duty and obligation or whatever, but let the inward righteousness that's growing inside, let it show up in justice, let it show up in generosity, let it show up in all kinds of ways. But that doesn't mean you quit doing the other things that you're used to doing as an expression of your faith and worship. This is what you do. The first Christians, if... If we can say, okay, Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount kind of took the law and said, look, let's internalize this. Let's make this deeper. Let's make this inside out. We can see in numerous references in the New Testament that these first believers got it. They weren't talking about tithing off of their cumin and herbs and all this. They they were talking about just, let's just give it all, man. So Acts 4, right, and we're not going to read that scripture, but Acts 4, that's when they sell, many of them, it doesn't say all of them, but many of them sold houses and lands and fields and brought the proceeds and said, here, apostles, you guys take it. Do, do whatever, you know, give it, distribute it to the need. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7, this is Paul writing to a church in Corinth that is uh, a first-generation wealthy. We talked about this when we did our uh, um, spiritual gift series. Corinth is the city of first-generation wealthy they come in as slaves and ex-convicts and things like that, and, and, and now they're, they're, they've made something of themselves. And Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In Acts 4, I guess we are going <laughs> to read that scripture. There it is, right there in my notes. All the believers were in one heart and mind and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own but they shared everything that they had and with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet. I think that there's something about that. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. And then one last New Testament verse. 1 Corinthians 16, so the first letter that Paul's written to them, uh, says this. Now about the collection for God's people, and he's talking about a special offering that they're taking for the church in Jerusalem. And <laughs> as I was researching over the last couple of weeks in commentaries and things like that, someone, someone suggested in one of the things I read that maybe the church in Jerusalem was a little overzealous in the communal living thing, and they were broke a few years later. And so this church in Corinth now had to give to them. Now I don't know if that's true or not, but... What is true is that the church in Jerusalem, after a little bit of time, was broke, and they needed loads of money. And so here's the church in Corinth giving to them, and he says, now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. So here's a percentage thing, a sum that's in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So we don't have to do some kind of big special offering thing. We can just, you know, it's already set aside. You've already, you know. Determine what to do. Someone else made a joke that, that, by the way, that's the first time it's mentioned that Christians gathered on the first day of the week. You remember they were Jewish believers first, so what day would they have met on? Saturday on, at the synagogue. But now here they are starting to switch to meeting on Resurrection Day. And someone quipped, one of the commentators quipped, that the first time we're told that they meet together on a Sunday, they're, they're talking about an offering. You know, <laughs> it's like here we go. You know, church on Sunday, pass the bucket, you know. Anyway. <laughs> Next week, we're going to take questions, uh, respond to some questions, I guess, that, that come up today. And so, put this little slide up. There's an email address, and there's a texting thing, and, and a whole bunch of stuff. But if you want to be lo-fi, you can just write down a piece of paper and put it in one of those wooden boxes by the doors. Uh, and, and we're going to pick, Pastor Brady and I will pick two or three of these maybe more, depending on how long, how significant these questions are, and try to respond to them next week. Uh, I'm pretty sure one of the questions is going to be, okay, great, tithe, awesome. But to whom? And, and, and in the Old Testament, there was this thing called storehouse. What's storehouse? What's storehouse for the New Testament? Well, why do we have to give to church? Can I give to my favorite missionary? Can I get you know? And, and um, I want to tell you that in all the, 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 the um, wrestling with the subject, uh, I... I I don't presume to be telling you um, binding statements. I'm not telling you things that's like, well, this is clearly, you know, you've got to do this. Other way. I think that's what this week is. This week is the statement that when we live out as the people of God, we give to him. We give to him of our, as a percentage sort of giving thing. This is what we do as the people of God next week when we start to say okay yeah but off the gross or off the net and 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 everything and, and is it 10% less than more than I mean how does that work what's the rules on that um what's the storehouse or to whom all that stuff I'll tell you the way we see it the way I see it you know uh, responsibly we'll sort of unpack this this is res- this is my responsible opinion but this week is about catching the bigger picture that we give to God because we are the people of God. That that's what we do. That, that to withhold it is a, is a way of sort of saying, I'm kind of checking this out. And I don't know. And I'm just kind of, you know, and I think I'm sort of... And money is so delicate, isn't it? I mean, money, it's like you can talk to somebody about anything in their life, but you try ask them, so how much do you make? <laughs> that conversation, that dinner party is over. You know, I mean that's that's sensitive, and I get that. But I think there is something about that because it's so delicate and sensitive and intimate and inward that maybe is why money is this incredible indicator of where our heart really is. That's why, second to talking about the kingdom of God, Jesus talked about money as one of his most discussed subjects. Why? Because he needed maybe because he knows how it gets us and how we, we hang on to it and how we don't want to let go of it. And, and so a few things that go along with that. What, what can, what's our giving like? I think it's safe to say that in both Old Testament and New Testament, the people of God give to God as they are able. As you have livestock, as you have stuff, that's when you give. I think it also means that you give your first and your best. That they were supposed to give, you know, look, don't give unblem, don't give blemished stuff. Give the first, give the best. You think about Cain, Cain and Abel, and Abel offering, you know. There's something about this. And, and Paul saying, look, set it aside. Decide in your heart, you know, give as you're able, but give you first and your best. But thirdly, give as worship. In our day, there's, there's a lot of different places to give charitably and so I think somewhere along the line church sort of becomes another charity that you can give to and it occurred to me a while back that that you could view tithing or you could view giving to God as a couple different things you could view it as an investment you know well I'm going to give this and so God I demand I receive my you know There's churches where you can go to where as they're putting money in, they'll wave their envelope to God and say, now God, because I'm giving to you, I receive, you know, promotions and bonuses. Okay, that's a bit crazy. (laughs) I'll just say it. Okay, that's a bit crazy. Um, It's not an investment. This is not like, you know, a a church that has better uh, rates of return than, you know, Edward Jones or something. Okay, so it's not that. Neither is it a charitable donation. Because the thing about a charitable donation is, and we give to lots of different ministries, or a couple different ministries, I should say, but we, you know, consistently, and, and you want to find out, okay, what's their bottom line and what's their overhead and how much, you know, what percentage per dollar is going to programs versus administration right we always want to know that okay well okay such and such a ministry 15% goes for overhead but 85 you know wow that's really great you know and they know all this stuff and we we love that and we look at that the thing about giving as an investment or giving as a donation is it's still you kind of hanging on to it isn't it it's still you kind of saying oh I would like that I'm going to give so I can get this back I would like that or, well, I really, you know, and I, I like that organization, and I'm just going to give to that, and that's the, I'm going to cho- you know, control sort of how my money is spent. And there's nothing wrong with that when you do that as a charitable donation. But the tithe, or this idea of tithing, or this idea of being a percentage giver to God because you are part of the people of God, I think is very different. I think those categories are, are fine. But I think this particular kind of giving that we're talking about tonight, the idea of giving first and best to God as worship means a no-strings-attached kind of giving. And to be honest, that's not a giving we're used to doing. I mean, we we would hardly give to a homeless person because, well, I know how they're going to spend it. It's like, geez, what is the matter with us, you know? Is there no gift that you can give that is truly no-strings-attached? You always want to know how it's being spent and what's going to happen, you know I mean? and I and I'll say m- way more on this next week with regard to New Life. But new Life being part of the ECFA, the Evangelical Credit for Financial Accountability thing. It's like that, that. took a lot. That took some work. I mean, that is a high level of standard. So it, I'm not saying this to you because we're irresponsible with our money, not at all. I'm just saying this to you because in the context of what we're talking about tonight giving to God as the people of God, giving to God as an expression of being His people is a very different kind of giving. It's a worship kind of giving. It's a giving that says, I'm not controlling this, I'm just letting it go, laying it down at the feet. This is my, my tithe, my gift, whatever you want to call it. And the last thing, While it is not an investment and all this stuff, it is also true that we could never be more faithful to God than He is to us. We could never be more generous to Him than He is to us. I'm not going to guarantee that that's going to show up in bonuses, promotions, and raises. It may. And I pray it does. But the point is, know this. We cannot ever outgive him. That if this is like, okay, well, this is, since we are your people, God, and we're so grateful that we're in covenant with you, that I'm going to give this to you, and I'm going to give it as worship. It's not as if he says, oh, well, good, it's about time. He says, well, you know what? I'm so glad you're in covenant with me. And yes, you are my people, but I am your God. That means I'm going to take care of you. That means I'm going to watch over you. That means I love you. I am your God. You are my people. This is how we live it out. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the loving creator of all. Thank you that you chose a family way back when you chose them just because you chose them out of your grace thank you that you saved them thank you that you gave them instructions but Jesus thank you that that's not just some story about some family Jesus thank you that because of you that's become our story that story of Israel is now our story we're somehow part of that story We are the covenant people of God. By your grace, not by anything we've done. By a gift, not by anything we've earned. Lord, in every way, with our finances, with our time, with our attention, with our hearts, make us people, Holy Spirit, make us people from the inside out who live this. Live as your people on the earth. We pray for your grace to be upon each one of us this week in our homes, in our workplaces, in our conversations. It's so easy to understand, but much more difficult to live. So Holy Spirit, come, empower us, help us. Thank you that we are the people of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.